0: All right, Luke chapter 12. Um, kind of picking up a little bit from the previous. Uh, it's kind of all one long thought, if you will. And I think you'll kind of get get the drift, catch um, how we're connecting these things as we move through the text. Uh, but in, in Luke uh, chapter 12, in the previous section... Uh, I want to highlight for you kind of two really main points here uh, that Jesus gives to us. First, in chapter four, uh, chapter twelve, verse four, uh, he highlights kind of this contrast between uh, fearing man, um, you know, working for the approval or or uh, being terrified of how people think of you or how they would perceive you, uh, versus and he contrasts that kind of with with fearing God. Uh, understanding uh, who actually has the power who actually is in charge uh, and he kind of he kind of frames it up this way in verse four I think it's helpful to read I tell you my friends do not fear those who kill the body and after have nothing more that they can do so he's kind of using that to speak to the situation of of uh, mortal mortals uh, he speaks to the situation of uh perhaps wanting to please them and doing things to please them so that way they uh, will not kill you. Uh, and he says here, don't, don't be afraid of those who can, who can only kill you. Then he says in verse 5, But I warn you whom to fear. Fear him who, after he is killed, has the authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. And so he kind of trots out this contrast between uh, God is more appropriate to uh, be afraid of because uh, he actually has the ability to go beyond just the physical death. He has the ability, uh, as he frames it up, to cast into hell. And Jesus says, you ought to fear him. But then as he says that, uh, in in the next verse, he then says while you ought to fear god over fearing man remember that god uh, loves you and he values you and so if you are uh, properly choosing between should i fear god or fear man uh, choose to fear god but you don't really need to be afraid of god in that sense uh, because he actually loves you and he values you he puts it this way are not five sparrows sold for two pennies and not one of them is forgotten before god why even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, you are of more value than many sparrows." So he he then comes there to comfort us while saying, don't be afraid of men, be afraid of God, in contrast to men, but also you don't need to be afraid of God because He loves you and values you. He 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 knows the hairs, the number of hairs on your head. He knows uh, exactly what's happening there. He's, he's keeping a tally. He's keeping track. He's obsessed with that. He He values more you more than uh, He values the, the birds of the air, and so He He kind of puts this framework uh, in place for us. Uh, and this is meant to bring us to a place of confessing and acknowledging God before men by saying, oh, we don't have to be afraid of of man. We can confess that we belong to Jesus, that we love him and we serve him. And, and Jesus knew that this would be a particular uh, difficulty for his followers because uh, they're about to head into some hardships and uh, oppression and uh, the book of Acts is filled with them, you know, uh, testifying about who Jesus is and the religious leaders and authorities not really liking that. And so uh, he he kind of puts this in place so that way we can understand how we ought to live for him. And then as we come into our text this morning, he begins to give us a little bit more of the framework about how we ought to think about this. So he tells us we're loved by God, we're valued by God. And then as we land in verse 8, we get uh, what we ought to do and a promise connected to it. So first verse 8, I tell you everyone who acknowledges me before men the son of man will also will acknowledge before the angels of god so he puts out front uh, the first thing that we are to consider is that as uh, we understand who jesus is we ought to be a people who acknowledge him before mankind OK, now you can go down any path you want with this if you're just like, oh, wow, this is, means that like every single opportunity, if people are not asking you about Jesus, it's, you have to go out and make sure that you're going to tell them you're acknowledging Jesus before people because you're worried about that. I don't think that's what he's getting at here. Uh, but sure, if you want to go that route, fine. I don't have an argument for you that I really want to spend time on however uh here he does say that there is a connection with this you're acknowledging jesus before men and connected to that is jesus acknowledging you before the angels of god so you've got to decide make a choice that you're going to follow him and then he will recognize that you have chosen him and he frames it up with this kind of this uh interesting phrasing here the son of man will also acknowledge before the angels of God he doesn't say I will acknowledge you before God he says I will acknowledge you before the angels of God Uh, and and what it seems to me is happening here is that there is a, a kind of a legal situation happening, a courtroom situation where there are a, a, a many witnesses and the angels are witness to what is actually happening and Jesus is there testifying uh, before God. Of course, God is here. The angels would be uh, around God as... Uh, seen in many uh, heavenly visions and of course you find this laid out in the book of revelation many times Uh, but this seems like it's kind of a courtroom situation and these uh, angels are acting as witnesses to what jesus is actually saying and he says that you have got to acknowledge him you have got to confess him before men this is a straightforward call very similar to what he has already said many times and what will continue he will continue to say uh in chapter 13 of uh, Luke as we get to he will go into this section about choosing uh, the narrow road that leads to life and there are few who find it but there are many who walk the wide path that leads to destruction and death he's exhorting us he's telling us that we ought to be a people who are making a decision we are are uh, given these two options between the narrow road and the wide road, and we ought to choose the narrow and difficult path, that we ought to be decisive in our uh, direction that we are heading. He's already told us that this is what he requires of us. If you remember back to Luke chapter 9, he's framed it up this way. He said, whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. So he's kind of giving you two options. If you want to protect and save your life, you will lose your life. But if you want to lose your life for his sake, you will find it. Now, notice in both of those wide road and narrow road, losing your life uh, for his sake or protecting your life for your own sake, both of those are uh, binary options. There is not a alternate. There isn't a like, well, I'm just like cool with other people making that choice, but I'm like not going to make that choice. That is not an option. He doesn't leave that open to us. There isn't a a third path, a third way. There isn't an alternate way. There isn't uh, a different direction that you can choose. There isn't an exploratory way. There's no choose your own adventure. That doesn't work. He says specifically, you don't have to pick me. You don't have to choose me. You don't have to take my path. But if you don't take my path, you're choosing to take another path, and I've told you what that results in. It leads to the loss of life, destruction, and death. So it's not like it's a secret. It's not like there's anything being like, well, I'm not really sure how this is going to go. I'm not really sure if this is going to work out for me. It's very upfront. This is where it leads. He's telling you straight in a straightforward fashion, here's how you get to where you want to go. If you want to save your life, he tells us, Lose your life for his sake. And so this is a call for us to then find our identity in Jesus. To lose our lives for his sake. To reorient our lives completely and totally around him. And how he's doing and what he's doing. And then he gives us that promise. If we do that, if we do that, if we say, acknowledge him before men and we say, hey, I know you. I know you. When people ask, then, then he will, in turn, say to us, yeah, this, these guys, they belong to me. They're confessing that they know me. We have a relationship. We have a connection. And so uh, they, they all of a sudden, they all belong to me. Everybody, you should know, angels, they all belong to me. This, this last week, uh, you know, as I was in New York, one thing that happened was, Uh, on a whim, we just, I wanted to try this place. Uh, I had been before, but um, I I wanted everybody else to try it. So we just popped into the bar real quick, right? Because I was like, okay, let's go into the bar because I know we can go in there. We could just order food real quick at the bar. And and I really wanted them to just try like one thing. So we went there. But what happened was as I I went to the restroom, I came back and and I was walking back. I ran into the chef. And he and he he loosely knows me. So I was like, "Oh hey, what's up?" And he saw my jacket that has like the uh, the kind of the logo that he's familiar with. and and in a second, like over the course of like probably 20 to 30 seconds we made like a loose connection of like remembering like oh yeah we've met multiple times like we were like i know you you know me i know you we you know me and in that course he had started asking more questions and we were talking and you know uh being reoriented with one another and then he i was like oh yeah i just really wanted them to try your food we were just going to come in here and grab a quick bite so then he was like oh yeah great how many people so I was like okay it's like four people. So then he scurried off uh and then I I could he's like I got to go to a video shoot. So he went to to the corner, but I could see he checked in with like the reservationist on the way because I asked if we could go to this other place. And <laughs> sorry, long story. But w- what what I what I ended up seeing was that he was talking to uh his team there. And and he what happened was he was talking to them and he was like gesturing over to where we were and he was like saying like the the hat, right? Like and so we and then he left and what happened was when we sat down we finally got like our one thing that we wanted to try and then like all this food just started coming like just all this food like tons of food we were we had already eaten dinner before this okay all this food started coming but that happened because I I had the loose connection with him I was like oh hey and we connected and then he went over and he said those guys are mine all of them Just just send them a bunch of stuff. Like, I want to send them blessings. I want them to have everything. uh, You know, and he didn't charge us for any of it. He just gave us like a ton of food. And and this is what Jesus is saying here. If you confess me, if you take this opportunity and you say, uh, here's, here's, uh, I, I want to belong to Jesus and I'm with him and I'm connected to him. He says, when I get to that place, when I'm before the heavenly angels before the father I'm going to tell I'm going to tell them all these guys are mine they belong to me and so take care of them protect them give them everything that they need all the rights and benefits that belong to the Christian all the things that you get the promise of the Holy Spirit the encouragement the community of of the church faith together the, all of this belongs by right to you when you confess Jesus and he says yep they're mine He has called us out, and the the scriptures tell us that He has, when we confess Him, He has sealed us with His Holy Spirit. He's marked us with His Spirit, that it belongs to us. And and then you find in in the book of 1 John that that tells us that we are His children, that we belong to Him. Okay, I don't want to teach the whole book of 1 John right now because I'm real tempted at this very moment. we got to jump back into the text. But I will tell you, read it on your own time. You, you know you could start like um like maybe the second half of chapter 2 into like 3 through 5 okay do it when you get a second here we find that this is what's happening they are confessing we ought to be confessing Jesus before men, and, and he will in turn recognize us. This is what in, uh, actually happens uh, in uh, Acts chapter 7, when you find that the very first uh, Christian who is killed for Christ, uh, in Acts chapter 7, this man called Stephen, he is testifying before the religious leaders, he's testifying before the religious leaders, and here he uh recognizes and identifies with Jesus at the cost of his own life. Here's how it's recorded for us in Luke or excuse me, Acts chapter 7. This man Stephen is before the religious leaders and he says something that is very similar to what has already been said uh in in these previous sections. You you'll you'll catch what I'm saying here. Uh, Acts chapter 7, verse 51, Stephen, speaking to the religious leaders, tells them this, you stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in hearts and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit. As your fathers did, so do you so a couple things i want you to catch there that there's the resisting of the holy spirit which he's telling them you are resisting the holy spirit and then he says your fathers did this so again it's connecting to the ancestry right earlier he's like he tells the the um the scribes and the pharisees jesus tells them like you guys are people who have like killed all the prophets and like their tombs and you're like doing the continuing the work of your ancestors so stephen's saying the same thing to them uh Verse 52, "'Which uh, which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute?' Very similar. "'As they killed those uh, who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one, whom you have now betrayed and murdered, Who uh, you who received the law as delivered by angels, did not keep it. Now when they heard these things, they were enraged and ground their teeth at him.' Verse 55, but he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. So he, he goes on this whole thing, like condemning them. And he says, you resist the Holy Spirit. But then we're told that he is filled with the Holy Spirit. And as he is filled with the Holy Spirit, as he's indwelt with the Holy Spirit, and then he has this vision of uh, of jesus standing there testifying the heavens open and the son of man standing at the right hand of god and so there's this connection that you see in place this is what jesus speaks of when he tells us that we ought to acknowledge him before men and the son of man will also acknowledge us before the angels of god now secondarily verse nine the one who denies me before men will be denied before the angels of god so you have those two options accept or reject, the narrow road or the wide road. Now, as we look at this idea of denying him before men and those will be denied before God, I think uh, it's helpful for us to to make some clarifications here. Because I think a lot of times if if you're somebody uh, who is there's, generally it's kind of like two people, people who think you like never send or people who think like you just like like all of a sudden like you have denied Jesus before men. Right. Because you didn't put like a scripture bumper sticker on your car. Right. Like there's like we're all over the place in terms of people. Some of us are like crazy sensitive and some of us are just like not even close to like we should be feeling some conviction of the Holy Spirit and like really taking a look at like how we're living. But here's how we think about this uh, section here. What does it mean to deny uh, him before men that will lead to being denied before the angels of God? Is he referring to a single incident? um, Or is he referring to a pattern in the life of an individual? Well, if you look just here at um, what is being said, I think you can... Glean from this a couple examples that we find from the scriptures if you take uh two men that were both a part of jesus's uh, original uh discipleship crew his posse we've got both uh two men who denied him we have uh peter and we have judas and and, and we find peter he three times he has a he has a small pattern there where he's like he's swearing that he does not know Jesus like he's like making the most intense uh oath possible that like he has no association with Jesus that he doesn't want to be a part of Jesus stop connecting him to Jesus but then as you as you as you contrast that with Judas you find that Judas also denies Christ uh and his end was different as well now, there is kind of the, these uh, different ways that you can kind of think about this. There's like a denial of of, of like nerve, like you, you got too nervous in, in the moment and you were just like uh, freaking out and you don't really know what to do. And then you have like the denial of heart, which kind of seems like uh, the the longer ongoing pattern. The difference between uh, Peter And Judas is that after Peter uh, denied Jesus, he ended up repenting. He ended up confessing that he did that. He ended up recognizing that that was foolish and sinful and unwise, whereas Judas did not. He wanted to go away. He wanted to be confirmed in his decision. Now, these are just two examples. We could trot out many examples. As you look at uh, the New Testament, you find Paul speaks of uh, many people who uh, have shipwrecked their faith or decided that they were going to go away. And earlier in a lot of the scriptures, you find uh, that they were like serving faithfully and whatever reason they decided, you know, that they were going to be led away by the things of this world and that they treasured those more than they treasured Jesus. Uh, The apostle John says in his Uh, Epistle that they have gone out from among us, uh, and perhaps they were not of us uh, to begin with. And so, uh, what you find here is that this denial is probably not like, um, you know, the the time when you know you're at work and someone asks you like, oh, like are are you like a Christian? And you were like, "Eh, sort of, right? Or like if you were like in in school, and some that's that probably not what they're looking at here. Uh, this is a, a, a continual pattern that we see in one's life. I think this is why Stephen uh, frames it up as connected to the Holy Spirit. He says in that Acts chapter 7 passage in verse 51, stiff necked people, you always resist the Holy Spirit. I think that's what he's getting at there. This is the continual. Uh, resistance, the continual denial over time, the work of, uh, of that long pattern. You would find uh, something similar also uh, in Pharaoh of the Exodus who has many signs and wonders and miracles and a d- deliverer gone directly to him and says, here's what the God of Israel says, let my people go. And more and more, uh, this Pharaoh refuses. He becomes more and more confirmed in his uh, desire to reject the word of the Lord. But then we have, like, kind of uh, parsing out of this a little bit more in verse, uh, verse 10. "'Everyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven.'" But the one who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. So, there's two things that are happening here. Jesus now distinguishes between speaking a word against the Son of Man and speaking against the Holy Spirit. Speaking against the Son of Man, which which is himself, is, he says, forgivable, but against the Holy Spirit is not. So, one is forgivable, one is not. What's going on here? Well, it seems that, number one, uh, he when he's speaking against uh, the Son of Man, he's kind of thinking about, I think that this is how it's going down. I think he's thinking about it in the most, um, in the most, like, literal sense here to these, uh, to this group of people. Like if you're there and the disciples are there and the Pharisees are there and they're saying like like Jesus like you, you're like a, you know you're in league with Satan and you're you're like casting out demons by Beelzebub and you're saying these things directly to Jesus he's saying like that could be forgiven but the speaking against the Holy Spirit cannot be. So I think the option for us to, to be—this is how I'm going going with it, right? So if you have, like, an alternate view, happy to hear. But uh, I think for us, the option of speaking against uh, Jesus, the Son of Man, being forgiven, like, I don't think that's an opportunity for us anymore because, like, Jesus is not here and we can't, like, speak to him against him. I think that's, like, a something that's specifically for that moment for those people. But what is possible for us is to speak against or to blaspheme the Holy Spirit. Now he 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 does this with with brings in this idea of speech because I think it is reflective of the attitude of the heart. Here's how Paul puts it uh, in um, in Romans chapter ten. He says. If you confess with your mouth, right, so there's a verbal, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart, one believes and is justified, and with the mouth, one confesses and is saved. So there's word and deed. There's action that is connected to an inner belief. You can't just be like, "Well, I believe, but I just don't really want anyone to know that I believe. Uh, I think this, but I don't want to make it public. I don't want anyone to be aware of it. I don't want anyone to see the evidences of this." He says, "If you're not willing to do that, then th- there's no teeth behind what your belief is. It's not informing how you actually live." He goes on and he says, "For if the scripture says every uh, for the scripture says everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame." There is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So there's there's clearly some connection to uh, this verbal mode, speaking this out, uh, putting action behind what you actually believe. It's not the spoken word that's key, but it, it's it's what it reveals. It reveals that attitude of the heart, what your decision is. And so, as he as he shares that, uh, that sits directly in contrast to blaspheming against the Holy Spirit. So one thing's forgivable, one thing's not. Uh, I for me, I'm not really sure how we could speak a word against the Son of Man that would be forgiven. I don't think that options open to us at the moment. Uh, But blaspheming against the Holy Spirit, which will not be forgiven is open to us it seems like now let's break it down because blaspheme is an old word and we don't really use that anymore so what the heck does that mean Uh, if you just look in your like dictionary quickly it's going to say like speak irreverently about god or about sacred things you know like just being like kind of generally disrespectful uh but as you look into the greek words a little bit you kind of find that this is to speak against uh in in a way to injure or harm their reputation, or the one word that, that I like uh, is, is you know, kind of a legal term, but I think if you break it down in, into the most simple, uh, if you break it down a little bit more simply, the word is defame, right? Defame, right? For us, that means like kind of just a slander, but I, but I think in uh, the actual construction of that word, defame, it, it means to like not make famous, to remove fame, to ruin that reputation, what you thought was glorious about that person or thing, uh, you're suddenly making sure that it's not seen in that way. That it's not going to be received properly. And if Jesus is God, and you're going to defame him, that means you're going to outrightly say that he's not. And you're going to make sure that no one else thinks that he is. You're going to make sure that he's not famous. That people don't rightly recognize his glory. And so, as we think about one who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit, uh, and that will not be forgiven, we get the idea that to, to blaspheme is to, uh, is to speak against, to injure that reputation, to defame, to remove that. But it's blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, not blasphemy of Jesus. Blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. Now, one of the ministries of the Holy Spirit is to testify of jesus john tells us this in john 15 verse 26 he says that when the helper comes the holy spirit i will send uh, whom i will send to you from the father the spirit of truth who proceeds from the father he will bear witness about me so he's testifying to jesus so blasphemy of the holy spirit is basically saying I reject the entire work of the holy spirit. If the spirit's job is to say that Jesus is Lord and, and to testify to who Jesus is and you're going to you're going to cut that off, uh, it's it's an act of rejecting that testimony. Not just in a one-time way, right? Because he tell he this is remember Stephen says you resist the holy spirit They've not yet blasphemed the Holy Spirit, but so far they've resisted this testimony. To participate in blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is uh, surely uh, resistance is a part of that. That persistent and, and decisive rejection of the Spirit's message and work concerning Jesus, that would be in line with that. It would be to call the Holy Spirit a liar in respect uh, to his testimony about Jesus. And when a person has repeatedly rejected and refuses the message and evidence given by the Holy Spirit, that person is not forgiven. It's impossible because the Spirit is testifying to who Jesus is. Now note that there is a finality to this decision. Those who reject Jesus um, they are guilty of this sin. Once um, once you permanently refuse this, then nothing can be forgiven. Because you reject God's plan of forgiveness. Like, that's, that's as simple as it gets. God's plan of forgiveness is forgiveness through Jesus. And if you reject that, then there's no plan of forgiveness to be had. So to be clear, as, as we think about this, this happens once people outrightly and finally reject that. It's not for me to know, like, when someone has done that completely and fully but we know for sure if someone has done it and like then they're dead like that's it but as long as people are alive on this earth I am praying that they would not be resistant to the Holy Spirit that they would not be a stiff-necked people that they would have opportunity to respond to the gospel Like the most unlikely character to respond to the gospel uh, in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul, who was like, you know, out killing all the Christians and was leading the charge, he came to faith, right? So if like the chief uh, terrorist of the church could come to faith, this is like, you just let Jesus do his thing. I'm sure that they all probably wrote him off, but only only God knows when that's done. As long as people are alive, they have an opportunity for the Holy Spirit to work in their life. And we pray that they would. So all of a sudden we get like this really crazy like situation where it's like, okay, you've got to confess Jesus for men and don't, don't deny him because if you confess him, he'll accept you. But if you deny him, he won't accept you. And then we have this section about receiving the testimony, right, If you about... Uh, receiving the testimony of the Holy Spirit and not rejecting the Holy Spirit and knowing that if you continually reject the testimony of the Holy Spirit, you will not be forgiven. But then we kind of come into this other section uh, to wrap it up here in verse 11. Because in the midst of all of this, remember, Jesus knows that these guys are about to like go into like a really crazy season of standing before the rulers and authorities. They're going to be tested by uh, you know people in their lives. He knows that we are gonna be people who are challenged in this culture, in this in our workplaces, in, in the academy, that you're gonna have like professors who are asking you these things and wanting to know, like, where do you stand on this? What do you think about this? How do you how do you process life? But he tells us, as as in the midst of that, he gives a word of assurance. Because all of a sudden, if you read this, you're like, "Oh shoot! Now I got to figure out how not to deny him, right? Because I don't want to be that person, right?" So, uh, it, our temptation then is to be like, "Okay, like now I got to get like super Bible buff, so that way I'm ready to like to go and battle people, right?" You leave here and you're like, "Okay, I got to go make sure like I watch every single YouTube video about apologetics, so like I know how to hold my own." You get stressed out and anxious and worried. And here's what he says in verse 11. And when they bring you before synagogues and rulers and authorities, do not be anxious about how you should defend yourself or what you should say. So he says, don't deny, don't deny me or I'll deny you. Confess me and I will confess you. And by the way, like you're going to be challenged quite a bit here. So all of a sudden it would be natural for us to be like, okay, well, I got to go figure this out now because I don't want to be that. I'm going to heed the warning. Now I got to go put in the work. But he says like, just just chill. Just chill. Don't try to defend yourself. And uh, don't worry about what you should say. He says, verse 12, For the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. The Spirit is given to aid the disciples, to aid us so that when we testify we will not be anxious we don't have to be stressed out about what we will say and when we will say it god's spiritual provision will support us we will have guidance and discernment because the reality is is that you will be fundamentally unprepared in your own strength you're just already you're coming in broke and weak you got nothing you can go and do the research, but I promise you, you're not going to use it. He's going to tell you, he's going to take you some random path that, um, you know, really minimizes all the effort that you put in, so that way he could be shown as strong. Because he's about teaching you that he's strong, not that you could be strong. He's about teaching you to trust him, not how you can like operate apart from him. So you could go waste your time, but I wouldn't recommend it. What you ought to do is pray and press into him, and ask him to give you that knowledge, that wisdom, when you need it. In the specific hour that you need it, you will have exactly what you need. Okay, remember, Paul, chief terrorist, person least likely to come to faith, but also most knowledgeable, like, Jew, basically, like, he is, like, the rock star of the law, knows everything. His prayer is not, like, if there was anybody who was going to be like, I'm ready to go, like, I could argue from any spot, it's not about the content, it's about what to say and when to say it. He makes similar requests, as Jesus tells them, like, like lean on the Holy Spirit, pray, and and anticipate the work of the Holy, Holy Spirit. He makes these similar uh, requests in his prayers. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 19, he prays, He tells them, pray for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. I'm sure he could come up with many things that he would want to say. I'm sure he could strategize and be like, okay, I can take this angle or this angle or this angle. He's trying to figure out what does the Spirit want him to say in that moment. Not like what are all of his things that he's put into his archive that he could roll out at any moment. What in that moment is the spirit going to do in his life? Colossians chapter four, verse three. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear, which is how I ought to speak. Again, he's explaining that he wants to know what God is doing. He wants to be in touch with how the Holy Spirit is moving in his life. You don't have to be prepared and all buff. You have to know Jesus. If you know Jesus, if you confess him, he's already promised that he will give you the Holy Spirit. Right? Let me remind you of that that, um, word from John 15. When the helper comes whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father. He will bear witness about me. He's going to send us the Spirit. If you have the Spirit, the Spirit of truth resides in you, and the Spirit's job is to testify about him. I promise you, the Holy Spirit's only going to talk about how amazing Jesus is. He's going to give you the words to say because that's his job. So Jesus promised you the Holy Spirit. So you know him. And he gives you his spirit, and then you have everything you need. Simple. The problem is that we like to get in the way and meddle with stuff. So just get out of the way. Stop messing with stuff and rest in him. Your job is to press into him and to confess Jesus so that uh, people may see your good works. The call that Jesus puts on us is to trust and fear God. He is the one who has all authority, all power over mankind. He has power and authority over each and every soul. He calls us to be a people who are forthright in our decision to follow him, to take To choose that, that path, to choose the narrow road and just stay on it. To avoid the hypocrisy of the Pharisees, right? That's kind of what he started this chapter with. In verse 12, he tells the disciples, beware the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Don't be worried about them. They want to be seen in the marketplaces. They love the greetings. They love these things. He says, you, be simple. Confess me, and I will confess you before the Father. It's a call, it's a promise, and its path is narrow, but its result is life. So I would encourage you, let's walk together. Let's go together. You're not going on your own, right? You're not going on your own we're all going together. Let's go together. We are here to encourage and build up and strengthen and help each other so that we might have life. And when we get there, we show up and we say, hey, uh, hey Jesus, he's going to tell everybody like, Oh, all these people, they're all mine. I've been making a table for them for us to enjoy the marriage supper of the Lamb. We're going to have a feast. I'm going to just start sending them tons of food. Just a massive amount of food. It's going to be epic and awesome. Know Him, enjoy Him, confess Him, walk with Him, and be led by the Holy Spirit as He gives you the words when you need them for whatever you're going to say. I don't know, you don't know, we all can't prepare. We can just prepare and expect that he will do exactly what he says he's going to do. Let's pray. Lord, we are grateful for your word, for your kindness, for your love. We're grateful that your Holy Spirit is present in our lives. We're grateful that your Holy Spirit testifies to your goodness and your kindness, that we can trust you. And so we will proclaim... uh, that you are our Lord and King, that you rule over all, and that you provide everything that we need. Everything that we need, we can find in you. And we don't want to go looking for it other places and get all confused and turned around. But you always provide exactly what we need when we need it. And so, where we come, and we find our peace and our satisfaction in you this morning. Be glorified in your church. We love you. Amen.